This week we're, we're coming again to the, uh, the book of Jonah, you know, the, the runaway prophet that we've been kind of looking at, studying for the last month or so. And the last time we looked at this story of Jonah, we were still above water, right? The, the prophet of God was running away out to the open sea, but God chased after him by sending a storm to get him to turn around. And instead, Jonah offers a creative solution to the storm that is threatening the lives not only of of him, but also of all the sailors around him. Jonah's solution is to run even further away. He tells the sailors to chuck him over the side into the ocean. Right? And we, we notice that Jonah would rather die than listen to God who had called him to preach a message of mercy to his enemies. But the sailors, instead of throwing him in, they try to get back to shore to save his life even if Jonah didn't seem to care about theirs at all. But the storm continues to fight against them, and so the sailors eventually throw Jonah into the ocean, but not after, um, sorry, but only after they pray and tell the Lord, obviously, you know, you want this to happen. He's not repentant. He has to be thrown in. And so just like that, once they throw him in, the sky is clear, and the sailors are, are celebrating the fact they are not sinking down. Um, and so the, the scene on the boat kind of wraps up with the sailors praising God, promising to offer sacrifices when they get back to land. But while the sailors are kind of celebrating, it's kind of easy for us to forget that Jonah is in the ocean. He's sinking down. And while they've just escaped certain death, Jonah is heading closer and closer toward it. So do you open your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 2? Because a, a new scene in this story begins in verse 17. We move from the boat to the ocean. Um... And in, in chapter 2, we have a psalm, and we also have a, a little bit of story. The story is pretty easy to, to move through, so I'll just go through that very quickly. There are only a few points to the story. God appoints a big fish to swallow Jonah, and then Jonah prays from inside the fish, and then the fish spits Jonah out. So that's, that's the whole story. But I want to focus on this other part, this prayer that Jonah prays, you know, because most of chapter 2 is a, a psalm. And it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And so our focus today is going to shift from this kind of overarching story that we've been looking at to Jonah's prayer of thanks. So would you hear the word of the Lord? This is Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Well, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. And weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is God's word. 
if I had to guess, I would say that not many of us here this morning read a lot of poetry, if we read at all. Um, one reason I personally don't read poetry is because it takes a little bit of effort, right? If I, if I have a good novel or a good story, you know, a narrative like the rest of Jonah, I, could, I can slip into kind of autopilot and kind of let the story play itself out. But poetry is, is an entirely different kind of writing. My brother's a poet. He's a bit spacey. It's kind of hard to untangle his thoughts. Um, right? Poetry takes thoughts. Po po poetry normally tries to say as much as possible with as few words as possible. You know, a, a story might be pointed at our imagination, and, and poems are pointed more at our emotion. And this is all in English. Right? This isn't even what we're talking about here. Here we're talking about Hebrew poetry from over 2,000 years ago. So we don't even have the, the help of um, reading something in our own language or from our own culture. So there are, there are more barriers to understanding you know, the Psalms, a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament, and things like this that are, that are Hebrew poetry, ancient poetry. So don't worry, this isn't going to be a lecture on Hebrew poetry. I wouldn't be really qualified to give you that anyway, and it would definitely put you on sleep. But I think two things are important enough for us to look at um, or to say before we look at this psalm. The first is that uh, Hebrew poetry, there, there are a bunch of different types of poems, like we have different types of songs. You know, within the first 10 seconds of a song, you know if it's, if it's a hymn that can be played on a piano or if it's a more modern song. In the same way, there were different kinds of songs in the Hebrew Bible, in these different psalms. And this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. It follows a kind of set order that a lot of other thanksgiving psalms do. And, and thanksgiving psalms always begin with a kind of summary of the psalm. They, they set the stage for this. And we see this in verse 2 today, in the first two kind of lines. Jonah says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So that's the first thing. This introduces a, a certain type of psalm. But the second thing to know about Hebrew poetry is that a lot of the time, just like we tend to use rhymes, words that sound the same in our poetry, Hebrew poetry uses lines that parallel one another. So like we just read, the same thing is said two different ways. Right? I... I called out in the first line, and then I cried out. I, I cried out out of my distress. I cried out from the, the belly of Sheol, or the underworld. And then Jonah says, he answered me, and then you heard my voice. So there's a kind of parallel thing here in these lines. Another thing is that in this, in this introduction, it, it gets a bit more intense, right? These two lines are not completely parallel, because the first line is a bit, a bit more normal. It's the normal word for prayer, asking God for help. But in this second line, Jonah cries out, which is a, a word that actually means something like to give uh, a repeated series of screams. Right? Jonah's at the bottom of the ocean. This isn't a calm kind of prayer, and we can see that in this opening line. Jonah calls for help, ultimately, because he is helpless. At the bottom of the ocean, nothing he could do is going to save him. Have you ever been in a helpless situation yourself? 
Have you ever been driven to your knees in prayer because you could not help yourself and had lost all hope? Jonah calls on the Lord in his distress because he knows, like he will say at the very end, that salvation belongs to the Lord. I think the more we walk with the Lord, the more we realize that it's not just the life-threatening things that need his attention or the, the big problems that show us that we, do, that we need God. But the more we walk, we see that in, in every hour, God is the one who can uphold us in every situation. And I think how much we pray will show how much we rely on God or on ourselves. Because a, a prayerless life is a prideful life. When we don't pray, we, we assume that we are good enough on our own. And, and sometimes it's only when we're like Jonah and we've been sinking beneath the waves for a little while that we actually remember the Lord. And he gives us this grace to revive our faith and to return to him in humility. So this, this psalm, this is a psalm of thanksgiving. We see it in these first two verses in this introduction. And I think there's a lot to learn specifically about prayer from Jonah's words. So as we, as we move into the rest of this psalm, I want you to keep this introduction in mind, that we ourselves cry out to God because, like Jonah, we are helpless without him. And we cry out to God because salvation is in him alone. I see in, in the rest of this psalm, as, as we move forward, three big sections, and then the final line is a conclusion. So in, in verses three through, three through four, our first section, we see the wrath of God. In verses 5 through 6, we see the, the rescue from God. And in verses 7 through the first half of verse 9, we see the response to God. So the, the wrath of God, the rescue from God, and our response to God. So let's look at verses 3 to 4. Three, uh, verses 3 to 4 begin with this. You cast me into the deep. For you cast me into the deep. Jonah knows that the situation he is in is a result of God's anger at his sin. Jonah recognizes God's sovereignty, God's control over Jonah's circumstances. You know, as, as far as the story is concerned, like, like we said, it, it was the sailors who threw Jonah into the waves. But through everything that has happened to Jonah in the last however long it's been since he received this call, I think it becomes pretty obvious that the Lord is in control. Through everything that has happened, Jonah recognizes his own guilt and God's justice in correcting him. He goes on in verse 3 to say, you cast me into deep and then all your waves, all your breakers, you know, the, the crashing waves that break on the sea, all of these have passed over me. Jonah sees God's sovereignty in his situation. And Jonah also sees God's holiness. Look at verse 4. When, when Jonah sees God hand in, God's hand in his situation, and he recognizes that he is under God's wrath. He doesn't do what we might today. Right? We feel entitled a lot of times to a God who always gives blessing no matter what. Even when we are deeply entangled in sin. We are offended even as Christians by the thought that God could be angry with us. But I think Jonah knows better. Because, because Jonah knows of the holiness of God. When Jonah sees his situation, he recognizes God's punishment, and he says this, I am driven away from your sight. This word, driven away, is the same word that is used when God um, sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of his presence. 
So Jonah understands that in the same way his sin is driving him into exile at the bottom of the ocean. Not, not because God is mean or petty, but because God is holy. So, so Jonah says, I shall again look to your holy temple. That's how this, this section ends. God is holy and we have broken relationship with him, like Jonah, by our sin. But even in the Old Testament, God had made a way for relationship to be resumed with his people in the temple. So Jonah fixes his eyes on the temple as the place where his relationship with God can be restored, even in exile. My question for us this morning is, do we pray with this kind of humility? As we pray and as as we approach the Lord in his holiness, we should be so aware of our own sin. You know, the the Christian life expects us to grow. And and one one of the kind of paradoxes of the Christian life is as we grow in our awareness of God's holiness, we grow in our own awareness of our own sinfulness. The more holy we see God, the more sinful we see ourselves. So do we pray with this kind of humility? Do we recognize the threat of sin in our relationship to God, even as Christians? Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should heap up shame on ourselves when we sin. Because there is no condemnation for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the cross really does cleanse us. But I'm suggesting that we recognize the reality of the cross, that it was only necessary because of our sin. We should come to God in humility when we pray, recognizing his grace, his holiness, acknowledging our own sinfulness, and not looking towards the temple, but looking towards the cross, where he made a way for us to restore our relationship with him. So this is the first section, the the, the wrath of God. But verses 5 through 6 tell us the good news, the the rescue from God. Like I said, that. Poetry tries to be really descriptive. It tries to get our emotions going. And Jonah describes in really dark and descriptive pictures just how desperate his situation was. Because the the greater we see our need, the greater we see God's grace. So Jonah paints a a picture with his words to describe his distress. Verse 5 says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. This, this verse is, is translated a bit differently by a number of different English versions, but the idea is that, is that the water has, has closed in over Jonah's head. The water is up to his neck. He is kind of swirled around in, in the ocean currents out in the middle of the ocean. And this isn't like being you know, thrown to the ocean floor by a big wave when you're surfing or, or out boogie boarding or something, because when you come up, you can still see land. No, the, the, the picture here is of being dragged down into the darkness of a stormy ocean so that you don't know which way is up or down. And knowing that even if you knew which direction to swim, you couldn't get to oxygen in time. You know, and seaweed is, is wrapping around Jonah's head, which, which adds to his sense of panic. And now the, the sense of despair is, is all-consuming as he hits the ocean floor the very foundations of the earth, he says, the roots of the mountains. Humanly speaking, there is no hope. But in the, the next, the last line of this section, Jonah pictures himself in, in the depths of the earth. Jonah is traveling, to, traveling down to what he calls the pit, or to, to Sheol, which is in, in the ancient world was the land of the dead. 
In Jonah's day, Sheol was where the, the dead people went, like Hades, maybe in Greek or Roman mythology. And so Jonah is, is picturing himself passing through the gates of the underworld, these gates that are, are closing shut behind him. But at, at the very point of death, Jonah is saved. But you, O Lord, he says, brought up my life from the pit. So let's, let's be clear. When, when Jonah says he, he prayed to the Lord and, and the Lord heard him, it's not as if Jonah had something to offer. You know, it's, it's not like Jonah had enough faith to be saved. He'd worked himself up. The Lord had already sent this fish ahead of time to pick Jonah up. Jonah was, was down in the earth. He was at the point of death. And if, if Jonah's prayer is effective, it is not because of how much faith Jonah has, but because of how faithful God is. This is because of the faithfulness of God. This is something Jonah makes clear throughout the psalm. Over and over again, salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lord alone. So how can we apply this to our lives? What, what truth is, is here in this dark section that you can hold on to in your own situations? Does this mean that, that when you are down to your last dollar in your bank account, you can count on God to deposit a million? Does it mean that, that when you've reached your last weeks and months on this earth, you can expect God to give you another decade? Does this mean that whatever we think our greatest need is, we can count on God to give us whatever we want? That's how psalms like this are, are normally preached, because it preaches really well. It fills up churches. And don't, don't hear me wrong again. It's, it, it's not wrong to ask God to provide for you. It's, it's not wrong to ask for the Lord to, to give you bread for your table or health in your body. But I think we misdiagnose our greatest need, even as Christians. God can be trusted to be faithful to his promises. That's what this entire book is about. He has always kept his word. And he has promised to meet your deepest need in Christ. And in fact, he has already done everything necessary for you to have life and life to its fullest. Before Jonah was even overboard, he had sent the fish from wherever big fishes like that live into the Mediterranean Sea. He has already done everything necessary for us. But again, I think we need to recognize that we misdiagnose our deepest need. And so we expect what God has not promised, and we expect what can never satisfy. If you think about it, this puts God in a lose-lose kind of situation. Because if he doesn't give us what we think we need, and he's not really faithful, he doesn't actually answer prayer. But if he does, and what we think we need doesn't satisfy us, then he's still the one to blame, and we feel fine to blame him and not ourselves. We don't always see what our most desperate need is. Remember, Jonah asked to be thrown into the ocean. And at the bottom of the sea, he figures out, this is probably not the best idea. Our need, the waves that press down on us, and the danger that, that threatens to steal our very life away is our own sin. And we cannot save ourselves. Outside of Christ, every human being is trapped under the weight of an ocean of sin. We are not just men and women overboard who need to be thrown a lifeline so we can pull ourselves up. No, I think like Jonah, we are 
We are near corpses whose lungs have, have filled with water and who are in desperate need of rescue. No rope will rescue you at the bottom of the sea. Only a salvation from a loving God can keep you from a watery grave. Only the cross of Christ has rescued us from our sin. And to our do-it-myself kind of culture, this sounds like the opposite of good news. But do you know why the Bible calls this good news? It's because like, like Jonah pointed to, God is the one doing the saving. And we can trust in the one who has rescued us from death to continue to bring us into perfect life with him. This is good news because it doesn't matter how much uh, of a good swimmer you are. It doesn't matter how much sin you have because two feet below the waves or at the bottom of the ocean, you're dead if you take a breath. The salvation that God offers, he offers to us while we are still his enemies. There is no one beyond God's reach. He pulled Jonah up even as the gates of death were about to close in over his life. And there is salvation even for the the worst of sinners when we turn to the cross and trust in Christ's work. This is good news because we have a good and gracious king, not because we are faithful, tax-paying subjects. So we've seen in this this first section the the wrath of God in verses 3 to 4. We've seen the rescue of God from our own sin in verses 5 through 6. And now as we come to verses 7 through 9, we see a proper response to God. In verse 7, we see Jonah's final breath. He says, when my life was fainting away, as I was losing consciousness, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Again, don't, don't put too much emphasis on Jonah's prayer because we see Jonah himself kind of underline and put in bold print his own helplessness. His consciousness was slipping away. He could do nothing. He was helpless. But he called the Lord to mind. The Lord came to his mind. He called to mind the faithfulness of the Lord, the goodness and graciousness of our king. He called to mind God's character. You know, this phrase he will throw back in God's face in chapter 4, that, that God is a God of mercy and of grace. He is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, whether Jonah is truly repentant here is kind of beside the point. We Maybe we'll see how repentant he is as the story moves on. But what is clear is that Jonah has been saved by the Lord. God has heard his cry and he has saved him from a grave on the ocean floor. So what is the proper response then to this salvation? I think think we see that the response is worship. What, What we are here to do today in singing the word to one another, in hearing from God's word, worship. And God alone deserves our worship because like Jonah says, God alone can save. Jonah says that the people who worship idols throw away their hope of salvation, their hope of steadfast love. And this steadfast love that Jonah mentions is the same steadfast love um, that God uses when he describes himself, right? That he is the God who is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. This love is, is available to all, but it must be received. This love is, is kept for those who worship God. 
right? I am a loving husband only if my romantic love is kept for my wife alone. And so in the same way, God is a loving Savior only in this way. When we enter into a saving relationship with him, he remains faithful to the end. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, if we die with him, it's Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. The proper response to God's rescue of Jonah is worship. Worship for who God is and for what he has done. And again, I think this influences how we pray. We should not only pray with humility. We should not only pray with with comfort and assurance, knowing that the Lord is the one who does the saving. But I think we should also pray backwards. right? Pray according to what God has done in your life in the past. Most importantly... For those of us in Christ, pray according to the salvation he has worked in Christ. The life that he has given you, the rescue from your sin, the the victory over death, the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit who now lives in all of us who know and love Jesus Christ. Pray backwards. All of this, in in wrapping up the psalm, points us to the main point of this psalm. It has been kind of building and building like pressure behind a dam. And finally, Jonah ends the psalm with the the truth that kind of holds the whole thing together. He says this, salvation belongs to the Lord. This is Jonah's last word. Jonah says, uh, as we look into this last final line, he says, um, what I have vowed, I will pay. Right? Jonah has made vows in the first half of verse 9 promising to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And this sacrifice, this thanksgiving, is because God has worked salvation for Jonah. It's because salvation belongs to the Lord. So as we, as we close, let me point out just three things from this final line that, that tie this whole psalm together. Three things that tell us what it means that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord first in this psalm because God has worked salvation for Jonah. It is God and not Jonah who has rescued Jonah from death. So God is the source of salvation for Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Secondly, salvation belongs to the Lord not only because the Lord happened to be the one who saved Jonah, but because he was the only one who could save him. Jonah said in this last verse that idols cannot save, and that that relying on anything else for salvation will only leave us as well at the bottom of the ocean. Salvation belongs to God alone. And finally, salvation belongs to the Lord, not just because God saved Jonah, not just because he's the only one who can save, but because God gives salvation as a gift. God's mercy moves him to salvation. His love moves him to make a way for all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. For all of us who have made ourselves enemies to him with our sin. God has moved in grace towards us in salvation. One one writer, as I was studying, put it this way. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord because salvation is God's area of authority. Salvation is Yahweh's to offer. He has offered it to Jonah, who has gladly accepted it with all his heart. You see, God is, God is free to offer salvation to Jonah, to the sailors on the boat, to the, the people of Nineveh. He is free to offer salvation to me and to you. And he offers this salvation through Jesus Christ. Not salvation from, from physical death, whether drowning like Jonah, or maybe sickness or age, but a salvation from an eternal and spiritual death. God offers in mercy a salvation that is in Christ Jesus. A salvation that is all of grace. A salvation that is only found in, in the deepest waters of our own despair. When we come to recognize how sinful we are and how helpless we are. Jonah only turns to God for mercy when he sees that he cannot save himself. But praise God, he has made a way for us on this cross. Have you seen the waves around you? Do you see the one who has done everything to save you? Put your trust in him if you have not. Praise him for his rescue if you have. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we ask that we would we would set your name apart in our lives. Lord, that a, a true and holy fear of the Lord would mark us. God, would you give us strength to be your people in days that are increasingly hard? Would you give us boldness in our witness and comfort in our time of need? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.